Hello and welcome to a bonus episode 13 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, the episode we simply had to have after a stunning President's Cup at Royal Melbourne last week. I'm Rod Murray, and I don't know what possessed me to think that I'd be able to not talk about happenings in Melbourne after some frantic organising with my regular co-host Adrian Logue. He's agreed to join me for a quick dissection of what we saw despite me saying last week that last week would be our last episode for the year. Adrian, homework in a moment, but first a welcome to you and congrats, I must say, on your recent blogging at your website, adrianlogue.com. A fabulous addition to the golf media landscape and quite brave, it has to be said. It's not as easy as people make it look, is it? Oh, thanks, Rod. Um, yeah, I'm trying to find my voice, I guess, with those blog posts and uh, I think inevitably it's going to be something fairly personal. That's the sort of stuff I'm comfortable writing about and I'd only, only write about it or I only write about stuff when it's something of interest to me and it occurs to me and it's uh, something like I feel like I want to get down on on paper as it is and uh, and get out there. So uh, that's an outlet for me to do that and uh, I enjoy doing it. Hopefully other people enjoy it too. I think they do, mate. I think you've got quite a sophisticated audience that follows you. Your path work has set the tone and the <laughs> blogging is... Uh... Is continuing, and that's good. I I've certainly enjoyed the couple. I wasn't expecting it. You sort of just I thought it was just going to be a photography site. So that's been a fabulous addition, and uh, glad that you're doing it. As I'm sure lots of others uh, as well. I mentioned homework. So before we get to the nitty gritty of the Presidents Cup, let's get the homework out of the way first. As always, contact details. We're all on Twitter. Me at, at Rod underscore Mori, Adrian at, at Adrian Logan, Derek, who's not with us today, of course, because of the timing. At at Feed the ball. You can also email me at rod at talkinggolf.com, just the one G in Talking Golf. More importantly, though, with Christmas fast approaching, is gift vouchers, or more precisely, discounted gift vouchers. Now, whether it's for yourself or another golfer in your life, our network sponsor, the Golf Society, wants it to be a butte festive season. Yes, I said butte, Adrian, a word that mm. you don't hear anywhere near enough yeah. of. These days, uh, they're offering a 30% discount on gift vouchers exclusively to Talk and Golf listeners. You can't find this offer anywhere else on their website or elsewhere on the web. That means a $200 gift voucher will only cost you $140, $150 voucher, just $105. You can do the maths for the rest. The rest. Now, the only way to find the secret page where this deal lives on the internet is by using the link in the show notes below. If you have trouble with the concept of show notes and finding them, send me a direct message on Twitter. Uh, and I can happily forward the link on. And in fact, I might even tweet the link out at some point today and over the next few days. Oh. So keep an eye on my Twitter feed as well. You sound quite surprised. And happy oh, I don't know why that, that hasn't occurred is, to us before. That it's, <laughs> it's staggering. When it came to me yesterday afternoon while I was chatting to Aaron, I thought to myself, why didn't I think of that months ago? Anyway, that's what I'll do a little later today. If you're not in the market for a gift voucher, but you like your high-end golf fashion and accessories, head to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash golf and have a look around. Aaron always has some good stuff available on the site. And it is changing all the time. Logue, let's get on to Royal Melbourne. I'm going to come to you first. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, I'm not even sure where we're going to go with this, but what was your overall reaction to what we saw last week? If I asked you for a four or ten word summary of what unfolded i assume you were glued to the tv for much of the week it seems to have been a hit around the place i assume you enjoyed it as well i did uh i feel people didn't get to enjoy despite all the enjoyment that people had of royal melbourne and everything i still don't think they got to enjoy royal melbourne enough they weren't enjoying real melbourne properly basically because were they enjoying it wrong a little bit. But it, was, it wasn't their fault, but it's the coverage was just awful. I wasn't. And I, you were there, so maybe you missed out on this a little bit. But the coverage was just awful. But despite that, Royal Melbourne still shone through. But yeah, the the camera angles, the amount of ads, 
the the lack of explaining the golf course was just appalling. Uh, like I've always said, to make a golf coverage interesting, you've got to know what's at stake. And like when when Tiger's standing over his tee shot at the fourth or the, what is it, the sixth and um, Royal Melbourne West, you you've got to know what choices he has available to him and what what's his thought process about where what line he's going to take over that corner there and where he wants the ball to land and where he wants the ball to finish all of those factors they didn't even have that tee shot all week we had how many groups go through there for the entire four days and not a single tee shot was televised from that that tee shot one of the greatest tee shots in golf are you serious serious? i don't i didn't i don't recall seeing one i think i saw one where they had a handheld pointed back at the tee and some something like that it was just appalling but there was barely any tee shots covered at all the whole week there was a lot of you know the tower behind the green just looking directly down on the green and that just made every hole look the same um so for people who don't know the course i found I, i feel like they're getting these amazing visuals but they'd be completely disoriented about where they were uh and for people who know the course it was kind of confusing because of the the whole renaming and everything. Well, television does that anyway, doesn't it? Even a course you know when you watch on television. I find that with the old course every time the Open's there. You've been there, and in your own mind, you can run through all of the holes, and then you see it from the camera angles and where they've had to set up the cameras, and it's unrecognisable. You, mm-hmm. It takes a while to orient yourself on the course. Just to back up, so on a bit of a tangent, this is something I'm not sure whether we've discussed this before. I know Fox tried it with the US Open with Gill Hands at Chambers Bay, mm. but does it not make sense to have some sort of golf course architecture nerd on hand on the TV commentary to explain some of this stuff. I can't help but think, and we'll talk later about some of his writings this week, Mike Clayton, I thought he was at his absolute best ensconced at Royal Melbourne with Tiger Woods out on the course. He really produced some fabulous stuff. Wouldn't it be fabulous to have him sitting in the commentary booth to explain the holes and the options both before and after some of the shots have been hit to give some of that sense? That would really add something to the coverage, wouldn't it? Yeah, if Golf Channel could clean it up a little bit, that be that would have been really good. You know, you got to you got to have your finger over the swear button. But uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the viewers might learn some new words. <laughs> but uh, that that would have been really good, and that was distinctly missing. Mm. Like one of the important things that makes the Masters such a spectacle each year is that we know the shots, yeah. we know what's at stake on every shot. And when Tiger got to fifteen this year, he's hitting into that shallow green there. And we know that he, and the pin was tucked away on the left. It's very similar to the shot he's playing at the fourth at Royal Melbourne, the sixth at West, where there's a shallow green. You've got to control your distance. Straight at the pin isn't the place to go. And and to see Tiger execute that shot, knowing what it takes to execute that shot and leaving it 12 foot to the right of the hole, th- that's something special. But I, they I just didn't that set that up at all. I watched that shot from behind, and I can right. tell you, it really yeah. was something special. Did he, I, what, did he shape that in there? Because Yeah, he hit that uh, from where we, we were standing directly behind and back up the fairway, just to make it, sorry, even more depressing for you, I was watching that <laughs> shot from directly behind with Matt Mollica, who, nice. who was having trouble breathing. 
I had to keep <laughs> telling Matt to breathe. His excitement level was off the charts. And uh, we, so we, we were standing well back. We were probably 60 metres behind Tiger, but the view was perfect. As you know, that hole, it sweeps down and then back up. So we were up above him, yep. probably at a level with the green, looking directly from behind, and we could see the flight of the ball. So we picked the t- camera tower in the background. We said that's what he's got to aim at, which was about 15 feet right of the flag on that line. Uh, and he just... You watch when he set up where his feet were set up and he started it virtually straight at that point with a hint of fade, if anything. That club mm-hmm. face was yep. very slightly open. If there was anything going to go wrong, it was never going to go left. Uh, because ironically, of course, the difference between 15 and 4 at Augusta with the pin they had there on Sunday is if you miss that, if you miss that target, the, the water would seem a good penalty at 15 compared to what you'll be faced with it. At six Absolutely. west at Royal yeah. If you hit it in that back bunker, you could realistically hit it from there into the front bunker uh, and yep. play ping pong for a while. So that was a thing of joy to watch. And I, I agree. I think you're absolutely right with it. But it would have been nice to know, as you say. And look, it doesn't matter what you do. You've been to Augusta as well, and I imagine it's the same thing. Television, no matter how good it ever gets, can never give you the scale. It flattens everything out and the it scale just, isn't there. Yeah. And, and and then you add in the wind and the atmosphere and the noise and everything. Being at the golf, there is simply nothing like it. I really think it should be either here in Australia or America or wherever. The tours, that should be their motto. There's nothing like live golf because there really isn't. You, you just That's can't a great motto. recreate it. Um, get to the golf. The crowds were huge, Adrian, on site. Uh, on Sunday, I went up to the third tee early to wait for Tiger to come through because it may well be the last time we see him in Australia. And you'll want to see. Mm-hmm. I've seen Tiger hit hit the ball a few times in competition, not not dozens where he doesn't hit it that often, I suppose, does it? <laughs> the opportunities are somewhat limited. But this might be our last chance here uh, to see him in full Tiger Woods mode. So maybe I'm up to the third tee thinking that uh, I'd be ahead of the game. And, of course, only a few thousand others had had the same idea mm-hmm. <laughs> at that, that time of day. So that was terrific. And we all waited. And I got to see him up close and got a sneaky video of him on my phone hitting at 5 West, the third up there. Uh, and there I was, trapped for the next 25-odd minutes. Couldn't get out because oh, of the yeah. way the ropes well, I guess were set you can up sort of people go left a little through. bit there to get to the fourth, can't you? That, well, you can, but you've got, you've got to be able to get either across the fairway in front of the green at the third, or cross over the um, path between the second green and the third tee where the players come through. Oh, okay. And because of the nature of the two holes, a short par five followed by the par three, the groups were coming through pretty quick. And so they weren't opening those ropes, either down on the fairway or up at the tee. So I was oh, that's a, I was just yeah. pacing like a... Like a that's like it's your first tournament. Kind of. I eventually got through yeah. and, and emerged <laughs> almost immediately behind Tiger on the fourth. Uh, hitting his yep. shot in, so it was, uh, it all worked out again. That was fantastic. But the crowds were amazing. Uh, the the vibe was just fantastic. I headed straight back for the media center after that incident because it was clear without inside the ropes access, there was no way you could move around that golf course, course and see more than one hole at a time. In fact, you had to think three or four holes ahead, get there, and wait. Uh, the grandstands yep. were fantastic. I didn't hear anybody complaining about that. Of course, there were no dud golfers coming through. Everybody wants to see Tiger but there's no mm-hmm. duds. Uh, if you'd sat in those grandstands and waited, the, the stream of golfers that followed were all well worth watching. So it was a success on so many levels. It felt to me, Adrian, like this golf course architecture bubble we live in, again, it's, maybe that's what's at play, but it felt like Royal Melbourne just captured the imagination of fans worldwide. The conditions as well as the course itself, firm and fast, the ball releasing on greens, mm. the interesting shots to be had around the greens. Is it just our bubble or do you think... It is so 
obviously and starkly different to the week-to-week golf we see, particularly on the PGA Tour, that people seem refreshed by. Yeah, Yeah. I've got some surprising reactions from people that I asked about it. You know, you'd say to people, how good is it watching Raw Melbourne on TV? It was just fantastic scenes compared to what you see week in, week out on the US Tour. And, you know, you're seeing the ball bounce and you're seeing it roll. Um, I made that comment to a mate of mine at the golf club and he said oh the bounce yeah but it's inconsistent and like, you can't well, be mates anymore you've just <laughs> lost a friend that's what's well, happened said, there first of all it's not it, the playing surfaces are incredibly consistent the way they're presented but but what he's seeing which he didn't understand was a well-struck shot at the right angle the right height with the right shape and the right spin on it could hold uh, or be kept under control on the second or third bounce and, and roll out to where you want it to roll out, whereas a poorly shot, struck shot would bounce a lot further and you know it would bounce two meters in the air and then and then run out and perhaps go over the green or into trouble. And I think that's what he was seeing when he's saying inconsistent bounce. And I, I pointed that out to him. It's like, well, did you see Tigers do that any time? Um, whereas you know Joachim Neiman hitting those low irons of his into the greens. He had a lot more trouble and there was completely different spots that he had to sort of target in order to keep the ball even on the green in some spots. So I found that a little bit interesting. I think we've still got a long way to go with sort of getting people to uh, warm to that style of golf and you'll still have the situation where they go back to their course or they'll turn around from the TV and go out to their home course and complain it's not green enough. <laughs> it's not, so Not enough rough. And it's not yeah, so they'll have the, not, the lobotomy uh, straight away. All that sort of stuff. What, what a masterclass he put on. We'll talk about Tiger shortly and what just a stunningly, incredibly talented mentally yeah. and physically. He's got the nine shots. Human, oh, um, he used them all. Absolutely. Um, the only thing that you'd have to lament, and, and I think Mike Clayton said this in his article, is... You know, if only you could be watching him hit longer irons into these greens, He'd win the difference more. would be even more profound. Yeah. Yeah. He would win by more. Uh, yeah. He was clearly at no point out of his comfort zone. Watching him, he looked engaged, completely engaged. By oh, the he task really was, hand. wasn't he? It was really phenomenal. dialed in. On that third tee when I was watching him on Sunday, I'd not seen him do this before. Perhaps he does it. It was almost a bit battley like He picked up some grass, still had it in his fingers. He closed his eyes and he could sort of see him trying to kind of find the wind with his hand. Then he opened his eyes and let the grass go. Yeah, he sort of gets in a trance, doesn't he? Yeah, it was, um, it was really Even when uh, Anson made him putt like a two-footer uh, on their first pole. Was it the first hole? He made him made him putt it. Oh, you would have missed it. But he made him putt a two-footer on the first hole of their match. And, well, uh, Abe wanted it, Adrian. He and did. he got yeah, it. He got it, yeah. <laughs> it was, uh, I was but in that first conversation. That was a brilliant line, and we know that Answer didn't deserve it and that at no stage did he give Tiger the Stephen Ames. We also know Tiger will take anything that he can get to use as motivation, and that's clearly what happened there. But that line was brilliant in that press conference. And someone asked Woods a couple of questions later. I mean, I just I lost it. I started laughing immediately. A couple of questions later, they got halfway through the question, did you know what Abraham Answer had said? And Woods just went, yep, next it's <laughs> just fantastic so what a- the, the thing he he says that sometimes with a very straight face mm-hmm. and if he doesn't get the laugh within the first five seconds or something after delivering a line like that he'll just let it go and won't won't even smile to sort of tell you that it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek yeah he's, so uh, I, I think some of the things he says in press conferences that come across as nasty are actually 
more along those lines where he's, he's telling a joke and he's happy for it to play out either way. <laughs> it can fall flat or it can, it can seem to, like a searing burn. I don't want to build burn. him up too much but because we know what happens with hero worship and those kinds of things. But he's, he's quite the special character, as you'd expect, 20-plus years of being Tiger Woods, I suppose. You learn a few things along the way. But what a performer he is, both on and off the golf course. He was fantastic in the press conferences. He had some extraordinarily interesting and um, positive things to say about Royal Melbourne. I tried to ask him a question to draw out a bit of a notion about equipment. That was a great courses. question. Great yeah, question. He that. didn't answer it. Yeah. Um, I'm not no, sure he didn't answer it, but he gave a great answer anyway. He did. It wasn't he, the answer you were looking for. But no, it was I'm not sure whether he necessarily understood the question. I suspect he's, he takes about the first part of a question and decides what it is that he wants to answer before the question's finished. But look, that's okay. He was fantastic about the course the day before, but I thought the quote of the week about the course came from Ernie where the flag was the destination, not the target. Now, I reckon he's pinched that from <laughs> that somewhere. That is a great quote. But yeah. that is just such a fantastic <laughs> line. I'd never thought about it that way before. Well, not in those words, anyway. And I thought that was uh, that was just brilliant. So the TV viewing experience wasn't fantastic. I'll, I'll be honest with you, the PGA Tour being on the ground, we know that Ernie said the best thing that could happen for the President's Cup would be for the internationals to step away from being under the umbrella of the PGA Tour who mm-hmm. own the entire event. I'm not sure what the likelihood of that is. But my goodness, they do golf differently, Adrian. Uh, mm. It was just one sort of... Um, Did, didn't they have Mrs. Max meat pies in the media centre? It was... uh, wasn't so much. I mean, all that's very fancy and, in fact, probably overdone in a way. But I get that. There's a lot of people there and they've come from over the world. And they've, it's, they've got no shortage of money to put the event on. So <laughs> it's only fair that they should spend a bit in that sense. So that was all quite good. It's a giant media centre. It, it dwarfs the Australian Open, as you'd expect it. But just... The management style and the way they go about things, the PGA Tour. So the first point of contention was the inside the ropes access. Mm-hmm. As you'd expect, there's not a lot of players on course. They have to control the number of people inside the ropes, and everybody understands that. So I was working for Golf Australia magazine last week. There were five of us with accreditation. John Huggin, Mike Clayton, myself, Jimmy Emanuel, um, Brennan James, the editor, and Michael mm-hmm. Jones, who's from Melbourne. Yep. And for the five of us, we're allotted two inside-the-ropes passes, which makes perfect sense and is totally Mm -hmm. and utterly understandable. However, the PGA Tour took it upon themselves to decide who those passes would go to. Uh, So the the pass wasn't allotted to the organisation. It was allotted to two people. And when the question was asked, well, how how was it decided that it was Mike Clayton and John Huggin were the two who got the the, Mm -hmm. inside-the-ropes pass? How was that decided? We were told, oh, there's a committee of us. And we sit down and we decide who gets the pass. So, which the immediate question is obviously, oh, well, what are we going to put on the cover next month then since it's clear you've taken over uh, administrative tasks at the magazine deciding who's going to be doing what? So the little things like that mm. were just constant points of contention. On the upside, of course, I, I had a locker for the week to put on my recording gear and I lost the key. Oh, nice. Oh, <laughs> okay. which, I, which I thought was going to go down terribly, I've, but they were perfectly I've, reasonable. Look, I've told you. There's the YouTube channel I keep telling you about, Rod, the <laughs> lock-picking lawyer. The, the problem wasn't with getting back into the locker. They had a master key. The problem is they're a key down, and those things aren't free. Uh, but ah. uh, I, I did – well, in the end, it, it ended up not being the major problem that I expected it to be. I must admit, I steeled myself before going to the front desk to report that uh, – Yeah, pull your credential. That I'd lost the key. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I thought it might be a $100 uh, replacement cost. Well, very simple. Anyway, that all worked out. Mm. But it was just interesting to note – uh, that and it very much run with a almost like a school school marmish sort of yeah, attitude. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, keep everyone in line. So whether that's it looked how like it, 
well, they control the story. They control everything, don't they? They control this read situation oh, do, in their how, own way. How wrong did they get that? Did you? No, they, they've they just got it posted, so wrong. They posted that shoveling incident as though it was a sense of fun. And I feel like the whole look, look the PGA Tour team that was there was one whole side of the media centre mm-hmm. virtually. There were I couldn't tell you how many people there. There were plenty of people from the PGA Tour digital team there. And look, they all seem perfectly nice people. I didn't meet all of them, but I met a few of them. They're perfectly nice people who clearly have their jobs. But that that tweet, to put mm-hmm. that out as though it was funny, shows the lack of understanding of golf. So you've got this disconnect between we have this media department, which has media specialists in it, and people who understand social media, but those people don't necessarily understand golf. And it's exactly the same scenario that played out for the LPGA earlier this year with the Olsen-Jatanagan backstopping incident, where somebody yep. at LPGA Media thought, oh, look, that's funny and cute. They're fist-bumping after a backstopping. And just yep. no concept of what the potential ramifications were, and they tweeted it out. So I think there's things for the PGA Tour to think about going forward, much as I hate the term. The European Tour, we know, has got their social media stuff much better at this stage than the PGA Tour in terms of entertainment. But there, it was just interesting to see some of those issues. And and then, of course, once they've done that, how do you fix it? If you take the tweet yeah. down, it's an admission of guilt. If you leave it up, it attracts, as it did, hundreds of comments saying, how tone-deaf can you people be? Well, they did it earlier in the year, if you recall, with um, that competition they had, the oh, Magic Moments thing. JT was... Poston versus Shane Lowry, was it, I think? Yeah. Poston's first victory versus Shane Lowry's open victory. Like, really? Oh, but also there was, a, uh, I think, a uh, girl with disabilities against Shane Lowry's. Like, the, as the, That's right, yes. As, as the playoff series yeah, of these <laughs> magic moments <laughs> the, the, played the, out. The big it, moments <laughs> coming we up. Had, we had uh, Shane Lowry's open victory against a uh, girl with a disability uh, playing off against each wow. other. And wow. they didn't take that tweet down. But the reason they couldn't, it became, if you clicked through from the links there, it, that whole thing, that magic moments thing or whatever it was, was some sort of a sponsored, sponsored deal. Thing, that's right. And so they couldn't back out of it. But it was just idiotic what they'd chosen to put in there. Um, just The concept was just like terribly flawed. And in the face of justified uh, scorn, they they just sort of stood by it and in silence, which is infuriating as well but yeah that that read tweet was appalling and it was well the whole read the only good thing about it the whole read situation should never have gotten to this point you can really look at every aspect of this read disturbance this week and put the blame fairly and squarely at the pga tour right from the very first moments of the incident occurring uh where he cheated where he you know he moved the sand behind his ball you had Slugger White calling him a gentleman. That's right. That quote way. will haunt them, and rightfully so. It was inappropriate, yep. no matter what. Had he been, had he been Roberto Di Vincenzo, who'd made an, you know a horrible mistake and signed an incorrect scorecard, it's the wrong thing to say. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it, yeah, he took the quote. He took the penalty like a gentleman. Let's move on. Well, I'm sorry. That that's just they reap what they sow, and they they're getting it this week. They're copying it in the neck. And uh, it's it's all because of uh, you know their own actions and trying to tamp this thing down. PGA Tour wanted it. PGA Tour got it. <laughs> they got it. Yeah. <laughs> and and just the way they're doubling down on it with um, the controlling the message through Golf Channel. I really hope is Golf Channel up for they're they're in this contest to get renewed as the uh, for the coverage going forward of the PGA Tour. 
Yeah, they were. I can't try to remember that. They they signed a long term deal, which was quite contentious. I'm going to say ten or twelve years ago, uh, which would be up maybe 2020. Yes, I think they are. Is the nuts and bolts of it? So clearly, what the PGA Tour are looking at doing is, well, they're, they're going. To, they obviously own all of their own digital now. They took all that back a few years ago, having given it away. Uh, 15 or so years ago when digital was maybe going to be something, maybe not. They gave that away to to spice up the TV deal. They took that back some years ago and obviously this over-the-top notion of Golf Pass, I think they are. Are they Golf TV? I think they're Golf TV, uh, which yep, we get golf here, TV. but yep. you don't get in the States. So that you can see what, tr- what their plan is there. I, I wonder about the common sense of that as a as a long-term strategy is the, the truth of the success of golf TV, whatever success it's had to this point, And it was absolutely driven home this point by what happened this past week is that all of that is built around having uh, a completely overwhelming personality in the game. And we have that in tiger. Yeah. But when he's gone, yep. we've seen what golf looks like when he's gone and mm-hmm. nobody can step in to fill those shoes. And I wonder about some of those strategies under that he was by far he was the overwhelming story this past week the combination of him and the golf course you know I've made the thing before yep. the, the 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 virtuoso and the amazing instrument is amazing to watch the course and tiger come together and make yep. magic together for the spectators and that overwhelmed everything this week he was by far the best player on either team sure was yep. for, by some considerable margin and when that goes that because that whole golf TV is built around him. You can see what they're doing. The notion, the, the, the clear idea is that at some point, if you want to hear anything from Tiger ever, including post-round press d- discussions, that's the only place you'll be able to get it. They will stop bringing him to the press room. That, that's where yeah, that's I, heading. Yeah, that is where that's heading. It was probably only that he was captain that um, they allowed him to talk uh, this week. But even then, uh, I don't know if you saw the interview that Henny got at the very end of the whole thing. Uh, where he drives up in the cart. Have you seen that? I haven't, but she was wandering around in the media centre, so we had the full show there last week, her and the the special the special golf TV team that looks after Tiger. Yeah, well, there's something clearly completely different transforming in his persona when he's being interviewed by her for golf TV. And it's clearly this deal that they've got going where he he has got to put his guard down and be completely open with his answers and very giving of his time. Even They can even stick a microphone in his hand, which is what they did uh, for this final interview with Hetty after the win. Was it she good? stuck a microphone in his hand and he interviewed uh, one of the, the team assistants. It was good. It, and when Tyker opens up, he's great. That's and, phenomenal. Mm. Uh, and we, just, we miss out on that in the sort of normal uh, press coverage. So... Uh, it, again, it's a no, it shame. It goes, goes back to this notion of exclusion, which seems so popular in golf. Like, why would you want to exclude the bulk of the golf public from having access to that by charging them for they it? Can't vet the, they can't vet the questions as well, and they just can't control the, the narrative as well. Um, whereas with Henny, all, all those questions are vetted. Tiger's probably been prepped. Part of the reason why he can answer so completely and honestly is that he's he probably knows what the questions are before they come. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a great way for them to be able to control the message. But so, so my point would then be, does that message go to an ever-shrinking audience if that's the strategy you pursue? I won't pay for it. I'm sure there's others who won't. Uh, yeah, we're a bit different, though, I think. 
don't know. People see Tiger on screen talking and they want to tune in. I actually, I want to tune in. I, I quite enjoy those interviews that he does with her. So, mm, I kind of, that's, on principle, don't watch many of them, partly because I can see the writing <laughs> on the wall for what's to come. And you've got yeah. Golf Pass, who are the, the opposition, similar sort of deal, I think, is a golf channel. So you can see the golf channel. With Rory. To okay. They've got Rory and Francesco. That's an NBC one, I think, Golf Pass. M- yeah, that's... which is Golf Channel. Golf Channel NBC. So you can yeah, see sort channel. of yeah. what what they're aiming to do. I just I wonder if there's a market for it, leaving aside the principles of it, but I wonder whether the market ultimately will be there for it because as the characters become less compelling, and once you've had Tiger, the next most compelling character looks less compelling because they're not Tiger. So if we'd never had Tiger, Rory might be much more compelling than he is, and he's incredibly compelling, but he's not Tiger. Uh, and that's no, he's the, not Tiger. Yeah. Danger. We really need Spieth back up there. Right? To it me, would help. Spieth and Rory combined, yes. they almost make a Tiger. How many Rorys it's... and Spieth does it take to make a Tiger? <laughs> I, don't I don't know. It's not bad, but Spieth at his best is pretty compelling. So yeah, and um, eloquent and thoughtful. I'd love to see him. I would have uh, loved to have seen him play this week instead of Reed. And oh. why they didn't do that, I have no idea. Or, Oh, it was too uh, late. That, that politically, there's no way they could have removed Reed from the team. To remove Reed from the team would have required them to have. They would have had to get new clothes for a start. So. They would have. Well, they, yeah, Spieth's not going to fit into Reed's clothes. The scripting. <laughs> maybe Kisner could have. We know that Kisner probably maybe could have stepped yeah. in. Um, but they, they I, I can understand from a political perspective, just the chain of events that would have been set off had they taken stronger action against Reed in the Bahamas. And would it that, have been well, any less had, controversial well, so, than what we had? No, and, and no, because I'll outline, to you, I'll outline to you what I think would have happened, is if they had said to Reed, we believe you did that intentionally, despite what you say, and based on that, this is the penalty that we're going to enforce, you would have started a lengthy legal case because mm-hmm. Reed would not have taken that. Not a chance. The Reed camp would no chance well, would they have let that go. And so yeah, I can see again, that, that they would have that had a bullying. Whole, they're enabling this bullying culture, Absolutely. Where, which we saw with uh, Cam Smith being labelled the instigator. Oh, just how atrocious was that? Did you see that? Uh, yeah, I, I missed the shoulder charge. I was there when it happened, but the whole shoulder charge incident that supposedly happened up behind the fifth green. Uh, I You're missed on that. the spot. I'd been there a couple of I was right there. I think we said hello to Cam Smith as we walked past. Well, Martin Blake did because he knows him. I was, I was walking with Blake. So it must have happened after that. For us to miss it, um, uh, there's a bizarre. Uh, but uh, sorry, I understand why they might have made that decision. That doesn't mean I condone it. It's the mm. wrong decision ultimately. I think most golfers believe that what he did was intentional, and that that penalty, while it's the right penalty for the breach committed, if intent is added to it and you accept that there was intention, then that's not the right penalty. The penalty must be much more severe. But you can't prove that. And that's the problem they've got. You can never prove that. So you open a can of worms that ultimately comes to no conclusion. There'll be a court case and ended up being a settlement. Uh, they'll take it. They can afford it. They, Look, they I, can afford it to do the right thing. But they and, won't do the right thing. Andrew. The PGA Tour is not about the right thing. And I think that's what we've established pretty clearly. Having <laughs> just had it spent away. It's not about the right thing. It's about their thing. Yeah, so the USGA, s- for all of the criticism they get, and the RNA, they... I can't help but feel they would have done. They would have acted differently. You'd hope. You'd hope. Of course, Reed will never live that down. He doesn't seem to care, but that Eamon Lynch piece that I read this morning, I think beautifully laid out how that might work out ultimately for him in the end. Uh, he doesn't seem to care. He was quite smug about the whole thing. 
frankly. His, his first press conference of the week was the first thing the PGA Tour did, rather than bring players in on mass prior to the thing starting and have two or four set up the front and take questions. They split them up. So there were four podiums set up around the room and a pl- one player went to each one. So you had to choose. You couldn't mm-hmm. get an, you couldn't ask a question of all four. You, had to you went to the other Patrick. Play. Exactly. I went to the other Patrick. I <laughs> spoke to Patrick mm-hmm. Cantley, who was a, a, a very nice guy who seemed to half get the point of the course and a bit, a bit about golf course architecture and half not get it. But, of course, Reed was swamped. He was sitting up the front and he was swamped because he was one of those put forward. And I kind of, I suppose, kind of to his credit, he fronted up. Um, but he was basically quite smug about the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, he he's one who goes out of your way. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get a rise out of you. No matter what you are think, or who you are, oh. he wants to get a rise out of He wants you to respond to him so that he controls the narrative of you don't like me. Um, okay. He's good, he's, I, I, he's I feel like he, I'd give him the benefit of the doubt that he's just somebody who wants to get on with playing golf. Like he's just nah. maybe a bit dumb, but he just wants to get on and play golf. Then he... He could do without the controversy. No, a little like um, Kepka. My feeling of Reed, of course, we don't know any of this to be. <laughs> we're just speculating. My feeling of Reed, and having sort of been around him a bit, my feeling about Reed is that a bit like Kepka, he needs to have some sort of fuel, and yeah. him being the victim is his fuel. Uh, yeah. And uh, you don't like me. Well, you've only got to look at his singles match on Sunday. What did he open with? Six mm. birdies in the first seven holes. Yeah, it's pretty I mean, sensational if Pan, golf. If Pan had just made seven birdies to the turn, he could have gone to the tenth tee all square. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure is what Ernie told him at some point yep. during the match as well. Uh, so there was that. And then I went and uh, – here's the tragedy of it. I tried to convey this in a piece that I wrote about, Reed. The tragedy of it is he's unbelievably gifted as a golfer. He's a great golfer, isn't to he? To watch yeah. him play is a thing of great joy. Not not the equal of Woods, but in a similar vein, he, is, he was born to play golf. When he walks on the range and he walks past Adam Scott and Dustin Johnson, you sort of think, really? How does this guy <laughs> compete with them? And he looks a bit frumpy and he doesn't he hasn't got that athletic physique or the big build. And then he picks up a golf club and you go, oh, right, that's it. He was born to play golf. Yeah, the way he holds a club in yeah. his hands is just quite beautiful. That's Even the way he did that digging motion in the, uh, <laughs> yes, <he's> <laughs> the viral clip. <laughs> There's some beautiful wrist action and got, got his body involved in it. Yeah, lovely release, good yeah. turn, nice pivot, yeah. uh, everything good about turn. it. I watched him warm up and it was um, it was captivating. He he started off, he yeah. pulled out, I suspect, a lob wedge or a 56-degree wedge. I'm not sure what it was. And he, he started by just sort of punching three low ones, 60-odd yards at a sign, sort of a sponsors-type sign that was, sort of, was mm-hmm. out there. Uh, then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, it didn't seem to change anything. He suddenly just hits this 60-yard flop shot over said sign. <laughs> it's a yeah. thing of beauty. And then he hits one in the middle trajectory that sort of catches. It was just amazing. And then he was hitting fades and draws and holding them up against the wind, turning them with the wind, turning them into the wind, high, low, mid. He's got all nine shots like Woods. And he's just... He does, yeah. Like a kid, he was just going through them. And it's such a tragedy. You, you want to get to watch that sort of golf and enjoy the golf even if you don't like the guy. But you can't unsee what you saw in the Bahamas. And no. ultimately... At various times, I've really liked him. And I, I kind of hope that he's... Uh, you know, golf needs a foil every now and then. And uh, John Rahm is hopefully going to fill that that spot in world golf for the next five or ten years or so in a way that's le- a little less edgy <laughs> than Reed. Uh, but Reed, unfortunately, is tipped over into the, the lacking class bucket. And uh, I don't think he can recover unless he apologises, which, which was the sort of the theme of the piece I wrote about him, that, you know, he surely... 
if he's if there's any humanity there, he's got some sense of shame about this build up of things that he looks back on and just must have a flush of regret when he thinks about some of the things that he's known for now. It was a beautiful piece you wrote, actually. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was uh, that was terrific. You know, if anybody yeah. hasn't read it, go to adrianlow.com and read <laughs> yeah. it. Shameless self-promotion there. Nothing wrong with that. But it really was a nice piece, and I think you laid out very articulately exactly some of those issues, as did Eamon Lynch in his piece. Eamon Lynch's out. piece was excellent, and I yeah. think he gave a very good account of how Reed's actions have affected all of those people around him and brought them all down with him. And I, I made the comment last week in the podcast that this, this to me is one of those wrong side of history things where if you're seen to have supported this guy in five or ten years, you're going to look stupid and because these these behaviours will repeat and he'll bring you down. Uh, you know, history won't look at him favourably and if you've, if you've supported him in any way, you'll look stupid. He's so, this generation's Vijay Singh, isn't he? Everybody who comes into contact with Vijay Singh that I've ever met says he's a fantastic bloke with a terrific sense of humour and who couldn't be more helpful yep. if you ask him. And yet, Vijay Singh's entire career, despite three majors, has been tainted by that incident in Indonesia. It has never gone away. I think the thing with Vijay is that, and to my, all to my knowledge, and this might be naive, that there's no repetition of that. He changed his behaviour. I don't know if he ever properly fessed up to, to what he did, but um, there, there's like sustained denial there perhaps, but... Uh, I don't know if he was ever accused of cheating since. There was the deer antler thing, which is complete nonsense because oh, it's yeah, total sure. pseudoscience and yeah. complete nonsense. But, um, yeah, that's perhaps a little less deserved. Uh, I, I can't see Reed ever backing down from this. I wish he would. It would make everything go away. It would make it so much mm. easier on, on his teammates. You'd get you don't on board have to have web sim. you become a Reed fan. And, yeah, you, don't, you would. You'd get on board with him. Mm. People love a redemption story. Mm. And yeah. if you can, if you can like lay your soul out and sort of say, "Look, I, I know this is bad stuff that I've done. Tiger did it, and, uh, well, and look at him now. He's he's, he's happy. Kind of forced on him, but yes, indeed, the outcome. It was forced on him the first time, but yeah. then when Tiger fully hit rock bottom with yeah. the, the drink driving thing yeah. uh, right. or the intoxicated driving thing, there was. Nowhere else to go but to sort of come out of it a changed person. And you can just see him now. He's happy. And now he's actually got back this killer instinct. So, you know, look out. If happier he's, if happier he's than he was when he, stood in fr- than when he stood in front of the curtain that February. That was awful, yeah. That was terrible. Yeah. It was a forced, uh, completely inauthentic apology. You don't want to yeah. see that. Uh, from and it took fully, you know, six seven years since then to actually get to the point where he could completely properly apologize and and like just emerge from the world with his head held high now he's exactly yeah without those feelings of shame that you talked about with which i think probably affected his golf at least as much as the physical stuff for sure for for a very long time uh let's finish up one last uh negative i didn't mean to go down the negative path but that's where we've ended up um speaking of classless joy to watch play justin thomas what's Mm -hmm. with that tweet that he sent out overnight about have we ever lost from five down or whatever what's that about i thought haggis our mate haggis had the best response which was what a fantastic example of the sort of class that jones and nicholas would never have stooped to something, yeah. something on those lines basically he brought down ricky fowler with him in that tweet as well like i don't know if ricky would have uh, gone in on that um but he's forced to 
because Ricky, I had I, I made a little list right of class acts uh-huh. from last week and buffoons. Yep. Okay, and, uh, <laughs> is this a new segment? <laughs> no, <laughs> this would be fantastic each week. But yeah. I had most of the internationals except for Hao Tong Lee in the class act category. Um, but I had Ricky in there. I thought the way he conceded that putt to leash in the last mm-hmm. uh, was very classy. Yep. Um, and Tiger is a class act. Couples is a class act. Uh, almost Spoke all to of, Freddie. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Got a little clip actually. I might even play it. I'll insert it at the end. Yeah. Ooh. Delicious, uh, and uh, but the, in the buffoon category, you had Bryson, who look just looks a literal buffoon. Um, Reed, of course, Webb saying that Reed's uh, treatment was undeserved. Uh, DJ just looking generally uninterested. Um, <laughs> Zach Johnson wearing lifts. Kucha just being Kucha. The PJ Tour of buffoons collectively. Golf Channel buffoons for following along with the PJ Tour. <laughs> This is fantastic, yes. <laughs> I had I had Finau, Woodland and Cantlay in the neutral area. I think they just didn't do anything offensive. Cantlay maybe got, climbed his way up into class act territory. I'd put Finau um, in class act, actually, having been up close. So I thought he was terrific, yeah. He was great. Anyway, Finau, Woodland and Cantlay. I, I'm just leaving him at neutral. Yep. Um, but JT with that putt concession thing where he laid the putter down oh. on a, what was it, like a five-footer? What was like, that about? <laughs> was, Literally, what was no, that about? It's match play. No idea. It wasn't funny. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't done it in jest. It didn't seem to play it off as a joke. No. It was just being an asshole. And pretty much. Nah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that lacked Buffoon. class. And then he really uh, doubled down on it with that tweet uh, about well, he's uh, dub- not caring he's about coming. Doubled down again since by sending really? out a tweet earlier today saying, gee, Twitter's got no sense of humour today, has it? Lighten up, people. Ah, oh, yeah. He's a buffoon. He, he showed it. <laughs> <laughs> he showed Wonderfully it Wonderfully dismissive. Ah, he's a <laughs> Fantastic. Yep. He showed it time and again. Uh, so, anyway, the, the buffoons won on the whole last week, I think. But um, Royal Melbourne was a class act. Has, well, has, I'm cognizant of the time, has Royal Melbourne saved the President's Cup? It was, well, they they took it out the back and shot it at Liberty National. It was just about <laughs> gone. Uh, Lahiri, Lahiri had to hold three putts Saturday afternoon to make Sunday count. That's how bad it was at Liberty National. And rightly, people were saying, well, what's the point of this? As they must have done at various times during the Ryder Cup's history. And I've always been on the side of trying to give it more time, but it, it has to be competitive if it's going to be compelling. And it was absolutely that, Adrian. Has mm-hmm. Royal Melbourne saved the President's Cup potentially, or will it be taken out the back again at Quail Hollow in a couple of years' time yeah. uh, and another attempt at assassination? Yeah, well, the problem is, and I think this comment was made early in the week when the some of the internationals were really performing well. Sung Jae Im has to be called out as Great performance from him, especially By the way, can I just say before we get it, Sung J.M. Uh, was lucky enough to run to Curtis Luck during the week, who oh, yeah. sung the, sang the praises of, of Sung J.M. like I've never heard a player sing the praises of another player except perhaps Tiger Woods. And in fact, Curtis said to Mike Clayton on the Saturday, come with me, we'll go follow Sung Jay. You won't believe hmm. how good this kid is. He was yeah, no, he is special. So yes, yeah, sorry, Sung Jae Im, great call. Uh, real, 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 I know he's rookie of the year. No one knows who he is. He is the player to watch in twenty twenty. I was unbelievably yeah, impressed like with him. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, sorry. really, really impressive player. But the the comment earlier in the week, or part of the narrative at least, was that you know I wonder who the true world top ten would be or the top twenty would be if you didn't play on boring US PGA Tour courses every week. Um, so, like, you've got the top ten. Oh, I love it. 
Yeah, <laughs> fired I mean, it. This is fantastic. You've got the, you've got the top players in the world are all determined by the fact that their games are optimized for the US PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. If if that wasn't the case, if you we were playing more on golf courses like we saw this week, you'd have a complete. Well, I don't know if the top ten would be that different, but maybe the top twenty, top thirty. I think certainly the top 50 would be vastly different. Um, you wouldn't have these guys who can just execute shot after shot succeeding nearly as much or as consistently as they do on the PGA Tour. And you might find somebody like an Abraham Answer would be much higher ranked because uh, uh, he, he seems to me like somebody who hits it where he's looking um, and then putts really well. Uh, and a game like that is pretty well suited he, he doesn't quite have all of the attributes of you know a, a patrick reed or a tiger woods but um a player like him would be i feel like he'd be firmly ensconced in the top 15 um it's a shame you weren't on site adrian because as you know with these things they're long days and all sorts of rabbit holes emerge and uh, uh <laughs> abraham was dubbed at our table ultimately Honest Aussie Abe, just a suburban kid with a homemade swing doing his best. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he looks like he's spraying it every time, doesn't he? Like yeah. he's fighting a push or a pull yeah. on, on the same swing. And then it lands where <laughs> he was looking. Same, but it goes where he's looking, yeah. yeah. I thought he, he did fantastically against Woods. Yeah. I suspect a, a, a good portion of the rest of that international team would have gone down six and five the way Woods yep. was playing. I think he mishit two shots all day. One of them I saw was at the third where he left it short. Hit yep. just a brilliant recovery bump and run up the hill. I mean, he had a 10-cent coin to land it on if he wanted it to finish within five feet of the hole, and he did it and then missed the putt, which was not what we expect from uh, from Woods in that way that I thought he did uh, particularly well. Yeah. Um, so, 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 yeah. To so, answer your question about is the President's Cup going to be – has it revitalised the President's Cup? This golf course, I think, has levelled the playing field a little bit in the same way that – uh, or it's allowed players with different skill sets to actually um, compete against uh, players whose games are optimised for the PGA Tour. Um, and it, it, to me, it sort of works in the same way as a wet racetrack does in Formula One, where um, I think you know the, the equipment in Formula One is all highly optimised for dry conditions and certain gradients on the corners and all that sort of thing. And the pilot is you know somewhat... Uh, is somewhat a factor, but it's all of the engineering that goes into it. Most of those guys have very equal skills. Um, but when it rains in a Formula One circuit, you see it suddenly a level playing field and some guy in one of the lesser teams, uh, like, you know, I think famously Damon Hill won a race in a Formula One one time when it was raining and he was playing in a team that had been coming, sorry, he was driving for a team that had come last all year long, but he just come out and won a, a Grand Prix by, you know, 40 seconds or something because it was raining. And I feel like Royal Melbourne does that for golf or a course like Royal Melbourne does that for golf where it levels the playing field and genuine skill comes to the fore, not so much equipment and overpowering and just being able to execute the same shot time and again, which um, I think professional golf has been over-optimised for in the same way that Formula One's over-optimised for dry conditions and certain types of tracks. Beautiful so, analogy. I'm really glad we did this episode today. <laughs> You've got some, some gold you've been delivering. So, yeah. you, so in the wet, in the Formula One, you've got to drive the car like you don't That's normally right. do. In, a, a, and at Royal Melbourne, you've got to golf your ball. You've got to golf you your ball. You don't normally yeah. do. Yeah. So it, it, will it be different at Quail Hollow? It'll just go back to – it'll be a bloodbath like Liberty, like Liberty National all over again. Uh, I don't see – you know, 
maybe you know we've, we haven't got a team full of 12 Jason Days to compete against uh, that style of player from the US on that type of golf course. So I think that's going to be a bloodbath. Um, uh, the sooner we can get the debate going again, uh, for me, I'm sort of um, uh, I, I kind of given up on this format. Uh, it was a great spectacle this week, but I think this format and the long arch of history isn't going to follow the same path as the Ryder Cup and become a great contest. I just don't see that happening. Um, you've got to you've got to change it. I think we need the women involved. I'm uh, coming more around to that line of thinking. I was not on board with that when it was first suggested after Liberty National a couple of years ago, but I must say it becomes a more and more intriguing idea with each passing month, I think. Yeah. The time to do it is now on the yeah. back of a popular one where mm-hmm. uh, you know, before it just becomes a bloodbath again and everybody just gets dispirited with it all over again. Um, this okay. this contest is always going to be a mismatch. The, the rest of the world notion, it, Europe v. America works in men's golf. The rest of the world versus America works much better in women's golf, doesn't it? And international team it because does. it brings in Korea. And we really need Korea represented in one of these team competitions yeah. because they miss out on every single one. You know, it probably um, actually should be Korea versus the world in women's golf. Not, it probably and, should and not be. The US. Well, if you're going to look but at that's, golf that's a whole other that's problem. Yeah. yeah, that's a whole other problem. But I think by making this six men, six women, you, you solve two problems with one. You you revitalise the President's Cup and you give the Korean women a way to compete in one of these team events, which everybody would enjoy enormously. It, it would just be an amazing spectacle. And the way you could mix up the teams, the PGA Tour only problem is the PGA Tour is just not a brave enough organisation to, to do something like this. And uh, what would, why on earth would they have LPGA players in one of their own events? Like. That's well, they signed the, a, the sort of lateral thinking. they not signed an understanding thing. earlier this year that they'd work together? Well, I think the PGA oh. Tour is helping to handle oh, what the have they negotiations for the LPGA this year, are they not? That's my understanding. Okay. Anyway, I, I feel like in the same way, oh, this is a little incident that um, the PGA Tour orchestrated, which I found infuriating. If they've got time to do stuff like this, they've got time to do more stuff for the LPGA. And they orchestrated that little ball signing for Patrick Reed. What? Where they got, they got a kid to come out of the crowd so that Patrick Reed could sign a ball for him and send him back in and um, try and improve his image. What Did you see that? What was second prize? Two signed balls by Patrick Reed. <laughs> exactly. Um, I don't know if you obviously didn't see that, but I didn't, if no. they've got if they've got time to do that to organise something to make Patrick Reed's uh, public persona look better, they've got time to have their players speak out in favour of the LPGA a lot more and and now the LET as well. Um, but I just don't see them doing that. And, and what could push the women's game forward more than anything is participation in one of these teams events with the men and uh, the men, the top male performers, speaking out for the LPGA and trying and, to support that tool. Well, and in reality, being exposed to it up close themselves so they can actually have some respect for the players. I mean, I have my doubts about how much time the world's top players spend watching any women's golf or taking an interest in it. Not that they have to, but it would be kind of nice if one or two of them did or was interested. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about promoting women's golf, men's golf. It's about promoting golf. Yeah, That's, that's yeah. the truth of it. It's just golf. That's right. I remember There's David 50% Allen. of the population there right. that would just come across and watch more PGA Tour golf if they, they felt like they were a part of it. Instead, you've got... No, well, let's not get too deep in this. But instead, <laughs> instead you've got this blokey bro culture... Um, which they seem to have no problem promoting. How many? Uh, I don't 
don't ever want to wade into this, but how many uh, inside the ropes passes did Barstool Sports get oh, allocated? Um, I'm not sure. The whole lot of them. I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I didn't. I didn't get to meet any of those guys. I, I saw them there in the. They media, did good so. work. I, I enjoy no, their no. stuff as well. It's a different type of coverage, but and it's good. It brings a lot of other people into the game. Why not take if they've got again if they've got time to do that? Why haven't they got time to, uh, you know, do more stuff for the LPGA and promote? That's a hell of a ball, that isn't it? This new media, old media thing that seems to have erupted as though there's somehow two opposite points of. It's just a bizarre discussion that yeah. started on with that whole stuff. <laughs> Very entertaining. Yeah, as soon as we sign off on this, Rod, I'm going to try and catch up on <laughs> seeing what's going on with that. I'm really quite enjoying it. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's crazy. <laughs> anyway, let's 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 not drag ourselves into that. There's already enough players in that uh, that Donny Brook without us adding ourselves to the mix. Uh, let's finish up with the Presidents Cup International team. I was interested, as I said, to hear Ernie talk about. Uh, decoupling from the PGA Tour would be the best thing for the international team. There's some interesting stuff in that. What I did observe, and I'm not sure whether this sort of came through on TV, to me on the ground, and I didn't confirm this, it looked as though uh, Ernie had really galvanised that team in a way we haven't seen an international team before, and I suspect that's got something to do with uh, his age and the fact that he's still active on the tour and is uh, highly respected. And I feel like Adam Scott, whilst he said a couple of times he was just doing as he was told, I felt like he was like a playing assistant captain and that he will be not the saviour, but if the, if the president's cup is to continue and to be somewhat relevant, he's going to play a very, very important part in the next decade. Adam Scott, he's heavily invested in it. He has the respect of all the players. He's eloquent. He's not exciting. People tell you he's boring. Uh, that, I think it's a dud word. I think he's extremely interesting to listen to. He's, very interesting. he's thoughtful and eloquent and yep. all the rest of it. He might be the key in 10 or 15 years' time, we might look back and say, this Ernie Ells-Adam Scott connection this time around. Ideally, I think if Ells captained again next time and Scott captained the one after, you'd have built yourself kind of a... I mean, the, the Ryder Cup became interesting when the Europeans came in, but in particular when we say that, what we mean is Seve. That's the truth. Of it. We mm-hmm. know that, that Faldo and Langer and some of those others, that was sort of Langer and uh, a few others that came were important as well. But really, you're talking about Seve, and short of getting another Seve, and I don't think we're going to see that, he's a, a once-in-a-lifetime player, obviously, then the personality that's going to make it happen for the internationals has to come from the captaining position, and I think that's what Adam Scott may well be for that team mm. in the future. And I very much got that feeling on the ground too. So, Yeah, perhaps. Uh, look, I'd like to see it. Like I said, I'd like to see this. I, I, I just don't feel like we should persist with this format, and so I'd put... You know, Curry Webb in the in the ring there, or something like that. Um, Adam, not to take nothing away from Adam Scott, who should captain uh, a President's Cup team at some point, with who all of that, all he's contributed. It's an interesting idea. Who would captain a mixed team? I feel like the worst thing you could do is have co-captains. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you no, do? You just... <laughs> can you can you put Curry Webb in charge of an international President's Cup team that's mixed with men and women? Wow, you you really that's a social experiment, there, isn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I think you've got to, that, that's something you've got to do. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think you've got to do that. So anyway, I, I don't. I, I get your point about. There's one thing. On the one hand, Adam Scott is very deserving of the captaincy at some point, and deserves to win more matches as well for all the effort he puts into it. He's got a terrible record. Um, you, you think it's all going to click for him at some point, and he'll actually just come away with a five and zero. Oh, 
record looked, in one of looked, these things one looked, day. He looked great the first two days, and he looked good yep. in the morning on Saturday, and by the afternoon, it was just gone. Yeah, that's it was right. all gone. Yeah. It was bizarre. Yeah. Just, it's it was gone. gone. They lost it. He lost it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh, and Ernie deserves a win as well. Ernie's put so much into it. Um, but I just don't see it igniting in the same way that the Ryder Cup did. It's just not going to happen. No, I um, agree. Especially when it just gets clobbered in the head every two years at a venue like Quail Hollow or Liberty National. You you can't, it's just not, it doesn't have enough clear air to build on a year like this. It's just going to get clobbered again in two years and then maybe it'll recover a little bit depending on the venue in four years. Um, But then it'll just get clobbered again when it goes back to America. So it's just not going to work in this format. No personality can drag it over the line. Um, it's just got, it's got to go to the mixed format. Yeah. It'll immediately become competitive, oh. and, and it'll be a, an amazing showcase for for world golf. Yeah, I wonder whether it might need to change names. Anyway, I, generally speaking, I think I'm on board with that. I'm going to play this clip that I got from Freddie, just so that you know what it says, because you won't get to hear it because I'm about to hang up. Uh, I went up to him after the the final team press conference, and I sort of screamed, "Freddie, Freddie, Freddie!" And he, <laughs> to his generously, he stopped, and I said. I identified myself and said, I just wanted a quick question. He said, well, it's going to have to be quick because we're going to celebrate. I said, yeah, 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 of course. And I was fumbling with the record button on my phone. But I asked him about uh, whether Royal Melbourne would become obsolete in 20 years, as some of us fear, which he said, no, 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 guys, hit it 100 miles. and ah, You don't have to worry about that. It's a second-shot golf course. And then I asked him, should we, can we bring the President's Cup back to Royal Melbourne more often? And he said, you should. You should. So I told him, Freddie, you tell him. They'll yeah. listen to him. They won't listen to me. Uh, but he was very much on board with bringing it back to him. You could tell Freddie, another like Tiger, I think, gets it and just imbued with the spirit of Royal Melbourne. You could tell he was on a golf high uh, just in thinking about the course. So I'll play that clip uh, for everybody else who's listening as we go. But for the moment, let me say to you, Adrian, thank you very much. Thank you for the all year being part of Good Good and IC Golf and everything we've been doing with the Talk and Golf Network. Congrats on the blog. It's been fantastic. Have a good Christmas. It's unlikely that I'll see you before then. Uh, have a good Christmas, and we'll uh, we'll chat again in the new year. But thank you uh, particularly for today, my friend. Thanks, Rod, and, and thank you. And uh, congratulations on a great year for you as well. I, I think I mentioned last week you're an award winner for the uh, Australian Golf Media Awards. I, I know how embarrassed you are at, uh, at you hearing did, that each week. And I am, but you know, embarrassment's not a <laughs> you bad be proud. thing for somebody. Yeah, keep, keep on embarrassing me. The more you say you it, the more proud. I get used to it. No, it was, uh, it was That's great a, stuff. a really great and I, on it. Yeah, and look, I admire what you do just – this little bit of writing that I'm doing now, it, it's not something I can do every day. Um, I, I am constantly amazed at people like yourself and Mike Clayton who churn out article after article every single day for multiple publications on, on occasion. Um, I think it's something that's uh, to be admired and underappreciated, very underappreciated. So uh, keep up that work and uh, get, let's get more people listening to podcasts on the Talking Golf Network as well. Um, the more more people we can get listening across the whole network, um, the richer we can the get. The more Adrian. sustainable this becomes. <laughs> That's right. The, the richer we can get. What's the, the profit we can, plan? Quicker we can buy that jet. <laughs> that step be... step one: do podcasts. Yeah. Step two: question mark. <laughs> step, <laughs> step three: three buy profit. jet. Call TG one. Fly around the world playing golf. Uh, that'd be great. Uh, thank you, mate. And stick around. And listen to the quick quote that I got from Freddie Couples. And uh, we'll see you all in the new year. Thanks for all of your support this year too, as listeners, and for coming on board and being part of this journey with it. We'll be back again in January. That's it for episode thirteen of the Good Good Golf Podcast. No, Will it be obsolete in twenty years? Like no. Some of us feel. No. Everyone hits the ball hundred miles. 
there aren't many driver holes as you like, but it's such a unique golf course. It's, it's never going to uh, fall out of place for us to come play. We love it. Uh, if you really watch it, there's not a whole lot of birdies. Yeah, there are guys that made six or seven birdies today, but they made a few bogeys too because it's so tough. But it's just a unique, unique golf course. It'll, it'll never stray. Awesome. Can they build a couple longer holes? But you don't really need it because it's a second shot course. Can we have the cup come back here more often? I think it's you should. Like you should. It's our favorite place. You-